Amen. All right. Well, this is our last message in the Next Step sermon series. And today we're going to be talking about the steps that we need to take to radically improve our life experience. Sounds like a commercial, doesn't it? Who here wants to radically improve their life experience? I think all of us want that, right? I do. Uh, well, God's Word gives us, and I'll just say, the secret to having a wonderful life experience. Now, Mark these words clearly in your mind. I didn't say wonderful life circumstances, but a wonderful life experience. Uh, God does not promise us wonderful circumstances in His Word, but He does promise us the ability to have an abundant, full, joyful, wonderful life. And so that's what we're going to talk to talk about today. And so before we do that, I want to kind of go backward a little bit and just do a, a little quick review and remind you. We talked about the first week, we talked about the fact that the steps we take in life are important. Right? I mean, no one can argue with, all the, with that. We've all taken steps in life, and they've either led us in a good way or led us in a bad way, but the steps that we take in life are important. If you remember, we talked about Paul and how his journey started, his journey with God. There was a conversion. And so that first step, and every journey, in fact, this sounds like a bumper sticker, a poster or something, but every journey begins with the first step, right? There's one step that gets that journey started. And so I would say this, if you haven't gotten anything else out of this message and you haven't begun a journey with God, I know you have a life journey, but if you haven't personally begun a journey with God, that is your next step. Your next step is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And the way that you are reconciled to God, if you feel like you're at odds with God or God's at odds with you, you need to be reconciled to God. And the way that we are reconciled to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not through our good works. It's not through showing up here to church. We are reconciled to God by the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. He took care of that. And as we put our faith in Christ and we believe in what He did, then He applies that forgiveness to us. And He applies His life and His righteousness to us. So I just want to make really clear, that's the most important step anybody could ever take, is being reconciled to God and starting a journey with God. So the steps we take are important, right? And as we know, uh, a journey, a trip can stall out if we don't continue to take steps. The ongoing steps are also important. Many of us in our walk with God will you know, have gotten burned out or whatever it might be, worn out, burned out, uh, disillusioned, hurt, and we just decide, I'm taking a break. And we have kind of maybe uh, taken a seat as far as our walk or our journey with God goes. And we're kind of in a holding pattern or our walk with God has kind of stalled out. And so I would encourage you, uh, if that's the case, Get back up and keep going. Find out what that next step to God. Don't stay stalled out for long. God, God wants you to continue taking steps. Some of our next steps have led us away from God, even though we knew Him 
and we uh, experience salvation, and but maybe at some point we've taken a few steps that have we've started veering away from God. So maybe your next step is to get back on track. And the fancy Bible word that we all hate to hear is repent. So we need to turn away from the things that we've been doing that are leading us away from God and turn back to God. And uh, Psalm 119, 59 and 60 said, I considered my ways. And when I realized that they were away from your ways, I made haste. I did not delay. And I turned to your testimonies. So if that's something you need to do and you know, yeah, I've been wandering away from God, make haste. Don't delay. Turn back to God. And it says that even though we don't like that word repentance, <clears throat> God's word tells us that his love and his goodness and his kindness, his kindness is what leads us to repentance. So we sometimes we stay away from God thinking we're going to get a smack on the head. But really, you know the story of the prodigal son where the dad just said, I'm just glad to see you, outstretched arms. And so if you need to turn back towards God, Look for his outstretched arms, uh, not the spanking stick. But he's, he's, he's wanting to, to, to receive you with outstretched arms. Yeah. And uh, we talked about the fact that our, our steps that we take decide and determine how we'll finish, right? Gave the example of some of you guys have been on road trips before, and uh, you, you get to your destination, but it's like, you know, the car's barely running and, and everybody hates each other in the vehicle by the time that you've gotten there and you're out of money. And well, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then your destination is heaven. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that destination is promised to you. But you want to arrive in style, as I say. You want to arrive with a well done, my good and faithful servant, not a Glad you're here, but uh, man, that was 70, 80 years that, you know, that was a mess. So, so we want our journey uh, to, to land us arriving in style, not just arriving right, with our hair singed and frazzled, but arriving in style. So the steps that we take in life are important for that. And again, I just want to take a little bit more time to review this. I know it's so easy for scripture to get stolen away from us. We talked about the fact when we talked about Peter that God has a plan. God has a mission for our life. Each and every one of our lives, God has a plan. And uh, I'm not trying to be mystical about that, but he really does. He wants us to walk in his ways, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But if you remember, Peter had kind of followed, uh, we would maybe say at a distance for a while or spend a little bit of time with Christ. And then we saw where he abandoned everything, got you know, Christ wanted him to trust him, and he said, go put down your nets on the other side, hauled this huge heap of fish, and then finally said, I, I'm buying in. I'm bought in 100% now. I'm forsaking everything and following you. And he went and followed him. So the idea that in order for us to walk in God's purpose, in order to walk in God's mission for us, sometimes that means that we need to take a big step of faith like Peter did, and sometimes it means we need to take a big step of surrender. And those, when you put that together, surrender and faith, in our modern way of talking, that means you're going to have to take a scary step, right? Most next steps uh, that are going to land you somewhere uh, according to God's purpose are going to take faith and surrender, and very often those are uncomfortable, scary steps. 
So I just want to encourage you. And I know some people have told me some of their next steps, and it's been encouraging. But some of them, I have to say, well, that sounds a little bit scary. And uh, it's not all mapped out, and you can't say how it's all going to go. But uh, I commend those people, and I think they'll be blessed for taking next step of faith and surrender. Then uh, last, well, last couple of weeks, we talked about the guides that God's given. Does anybody remember we talked about three guides that God's given us as we walk? Walk according to God's Word. Walk in the Spirit. And walk in or according to in good works. Good job. So that's those are guides. You know, it's not just take a next step. Yeah, I think the next step is... You know, God wants me to, to leave my wife and, and go meet some uh, younger gal and, and move away and abandon my family. And uh, that's not what he wants. No, I wasn't even thinking about it. But uh, we have these guides that God gives us to where we know our next steps will be on track. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and I want to pray one more time and then we'll, we'll dive in to today's message. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the incredible life that you offer us, not just in eternity, but now. And as we talk about these verses and uh, truths, from, especially from Romans 6, Father, I pray that you would make them alive for each person here, that it wouldn't just be words on a screen or uh, in black and white, but that they would be words that would pierce our heart, that would... Uh, bring life to our souls. And we know we can't do all that on our own. These are spiritual things. So we just want to say that we're trusting you to work in us spiritually this morning. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to go kind of quick here. First, I need to turn this thing on. So we talked about the, we're going to be talking about changes, next steps um, that will change our life. And if you're following the notes, this would be some of the scriptures that'll help, <clears throat> or some of the quotes that'll help you fill in the blanks. Our life experience is radically improved when we give ourselves to God's purposes. So that's kind of the big summary statement that we're going to talk about today, and we'll break that break that down a little bit. But really, if you think about it, there are all kinds of things that promise to improve our lives, right? I mean, all kinds of things. Commercials are loaded with things that promise to improve our life. Uh, you know, whether it's new shampoo and you use this new shampoo, it's going to change your life. Your hair is going to be shinier and healthier and everybody's going to love you like they've never loved you before because uh, uh, of your new uh, fancy hairdo there. Uh, oh, you get this pillow, you're going to sleep better. And you sleep better, it's going to transform everything in your life. So, you know, get the my pillow, and everything's going to be great. Kitchen tools, it'll make you a better cook, it'll make life easier, it'll save you time. It's good. I mean, th- these things, these commercials will, you look at them, they will make your life better, right? Yesterday we were watching a commercial and it was for uh, makeup. We had the TV on and a, a makeup commercial was on. And it said something. I wasn't even really paying attention to it. And Evie, our daughter, said, uh, she said, Do, so they just said that the doctors say you're supposed to wear that makeup. It seems like we're supposed to wear that. Then a 
If a doctor says it, doesn't that, if a doctor's telling us, we're supposed to do what the doctors say, right? I'm like, good observation. But most commercials are meant to trick you, Evie. Like they just want to trick us into buying whatever that is. And if you think about it, no matter what these commercials are, they're all promising to improve our lives, increase our status, you know, increase our health, increase our looks, increase whatever it is. Uh, they have an agenda behind them, but there's all kind of things out there that are promising to improve our lives. There's all kind of philosophies out there. There's all kind of religions out there that promise to improve our lives. You know, you could go, uh, all the self-help uh, teachings in, in psychology promises to improve your life. Uh, religions, there. I mean, whether it's New Age or even, I would say, Christianity, and, and hear me out on this completely, in, in many ways people take that as a promise to improve their life. And I'll just say right now, we are not about, here, we're not about a religion we're about a person, Jesus Christ. We're not about buying into a system. We're about buying into the Savior, a person who saves us and redeems us and makes us whole and can even save us day to day to day from ourselves and who will ultimately save us from this rotten, no good earth. So the idea that there, there, are, uh, there are philosophies, there, there are ideas, there are lifestyles, I mean, there are lifestyles out there that say that they'll improve everything, right? Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Remember Robin Leach's famous thing. And, and you, you, as you sit there and watch that, some, most people here remember that, right? Yeah. We're all about that. A few, not so much. Okay, maybe not a few. Uh, whatever, what was it in Caviar Dreams? Champagne wishes and caviar dreams, and you're thinking, you're watching these people live on their yachts and all this, and you're thinking, that would radically improve my life experience right there. Yeah, 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 maybe not the caviar. And then you go way over, and I'm not trying to be ridiculous, but then you go way over, and now maybe it's, you know, it's like, oh, no, minimalist, you know? If I could just go out and, and live in a tiny house, that would radically improve my life. You know, if there was just some kind of, uh, you know... If I just became a vegan, that would improve my life. And we, we hang on to all these things. Or if I could just get into the gym three days a week, that would radically improve my life. And I'm not against any of those things. I'm not against buying things on the commercials. But what I'm talking about is God's Word tells us the real, the genuine way to truly experience what it calls abundant life. It talks about us having rivers of living waters that flow into our soul where we are fulfilled people and so there's all these things that again I, I'm not just trying to waste time by mentioning those things those are the things that we're bombarded with every single day right I didn't mention anything you're like huh what's he even talking about I've never heard of that I have no idea I've never that's never been appealing to me those things are appealing to us because they have a promise that they're going to bring some kind of uh, some kind of fulfillment inside to meet our internal needs. God gives us a way that we can have our internal needs met. Here's the big bad news. We like to start with the bad news. It's like eating the vegetables before dessert. Let's get the bad news out of the way. Sin keeps us from experiencing 
the abundant life. That's what keeps us from experiencing the abundant life. And so I want to just read a, a little bit about what this abundant life is and explain that. And then we'll talk about how sin keeps us from it. So here, we're going to spend most of our time in Romans 6 this morning, but I want to look at a few different verses in addition. Paul says, But now, having been set free from sin and having been become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and at the end, everlasting life. Everlasting life. And then John 10.10. 10. A thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so I want to talk about this for, there's a difference. I think we would all agree. There's a difference between surviving and really living, right? We're not talking about surviving here. That's not the kind of life that your heart's beating and your, your lungs are filling with air and you're in, inhaling and exhaling. That's not what we're talking about. For life. What we're talking about is he talks about eternal, he talks about everlasting life. And when you talk about that, that's quantity of life, right? So that means those who have eternal life live forever. They continue to live on. But really, eternal has the idea of no beginning and no end, right? So if you could think of that, about it, when you have eternal life or when you are experiencing eternal life, then you, it's like stepping into a river. Like imagine you step into the Mississippi River. If you're in the Mississippi River, you're in the Mississippi River. No matter where it started and no matter where it ends, you're in the Mississippi River. And having eternal life means that you've stepped into that kind of life. And so... It doesn't, we don't just think, oh, eternal life. That's going to happen as soon as I die. No, if you have been given eternal life, you're, you're in eternal life right now. Your eternal life has already started. You don't get to experience it in its fullest until we go beyond and we're totally glorified. But you can begin to experience eternal life and step into it now. Does that make sense? I, I know that's kind of could can be a little bit of a mind twister there, but I just want to make that point clear. He's talking about something that's everlasting, something eternal. It does that means it has no beginning, no end. We don't have to wait till we die to enjoy eternal or everlasting life. It's something we can step into now. And the other part of that word is life, right? He says everlasting, so that's kind of describing it, life, what it is. Everlasting would be, what is that, a, an adjective there, right? Describing this thing, life. Now, in God's Word, this is, uh, in, in the original Greek, it's zoe. Some of you guys know people by the name of zoe. It's a Greek word that means life. And so, that life that it's talking about is talking about... Uh, I'll, just give you, it says, the fullness of life, vitality to animate uh, the fulfilled life. And it's where we get our word zoo from. That word zoe is where we get our word zoo from. If you know somebody named Zoe, don't tease them about that, like as if they belong in a zoo. But it's where we get our, the name zoo from. And the reason for it is because it means to be like teeming 
or full of life. Zoos are full of, I mean, they're just teeming with life, right? All kinds of different life. Everywhere in a zoo, you, you go to these different stalls or pens and, and there's just life and more life and then another kind of life, another life. Well, the reality is that that's the kind of life that God wants us to have. Not just everlasting life and you're going to survive forever, but He wants us to have a full experience of life, even now. He wants us to experience joy. He wants us to experience fullness even now. And so if you think, well, what does that look like, experiencing that now? I'll tell you what it looks like. Contentment in the middle of difficulty, that's an abundant life, right? If you can be content without having a bunch of stuff, that means that you have life. If you feel like your cup is full instead of empty and you're constantly needy, that would be a sign that you're not enjoying a fulfilled life. I need this person. I need this thing. I need this circumstance to go my way. Then you're not really enjoying a fulfilled life. And God wants us to enjoy a fulfilled whole life. And so Satan does not want that. What does he come to do? He comes to steal. And many of us have had big things of our life stolen. I'm not talking about uh, your bike stolen out of your backyard. I'm talking about You've had peace stolen from you, maybe even this week. And that's part of Satan's plan. He wants to steal peace. He wants to rob you of joy. Maybe he wants to, to, to rob your children of their purity. But he wants to steal. That's his plan. He wants to kill. And many of us have had relationships die. We've said, a little piece of me died when that happened to me as a child. That's the, that's the thief's plan. He wants to kill us, and we've, we've all experienced some of those things. And to destroy, and you picture, you picture what a lion does, or a tiger, if you watch the, the nature shows. Man, they just go, and other places talk about that he devours. It's not like they go and, and just kind of like, boo, to the gazelle, right? Gotcha! No, they go and they latch in, it's kind of sad to watch, man. They dig those teeth in there. And the claws around the side, and they get that thing down, and they're actually like start chewing through their flesh, eating their organ. Like, I mean, they just devour, destroy. That's what Satan wants to do for, for us. But Jesus Christ came that we would have life and have it abundantly. That's why we are to be beacons in this world, is because a lot of the world is experiencing death, depression, discouragement. And what God is saying is I sent my son that you guys could be full of life even now. Even before you go experience eternity in heaven, I want you to experience an abundant life now. So I, th I feel like if I'm going to make this big claim that you can radically improve your life experience, I should explain what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about you'll hit the lotto and you know, you'll pray for a new car and it'll be there when you get home this afternoon. I'm talking about the reality that you can experience inter, inner, inward, fulfillment, wholeness, fullness. You can experience love, joy, peace, those things that God gives us. But like I said, sin, sin is a big hindrance to that. So how does sin keep us from experiencing that? Here's a few ways that I'm sure you guys can relate to. 
Romans 6, he says, What fruit did you then have in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And he's talking about, he's like, he's saying, you guys used to just walk in sin. And what's the result of sin? A lot of times it's shame, isn't it? So he talks about the things you're now ashamed. So a lot of the sinful things we've done or the wrong things or the things against God, they seem like they're going to make us feel good. They always have this little shiny promise of relief or uh, fun or satisfaction or fulfillment, but really what they bring is shame. If you're like, well, I'm not ashamed of nothing. Well, maybe it's regret. You're like, I wish I, wish I would have never done that or I wish I would have had a whole different attitude in whatever that thing is. And it says the end of those things is death and we all know that sin leads to death, doesn't it? I'm not saying you're going to die, uh, uh, you know, um, a physical death only because of sin. I think that is why we die a physical death is because of sin. But it leads to death in relationships, right? Here's some sin. Is, is lying sin? Does lying cause some death in a relationship? Death of trust, right? You've been lied to? Did it kill a little something there in the relationship? Yeah. That's what sin does. It robs us of that full joy of life by giving us regrets, shame, death. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, it says, And then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so what Christ is saying here is he's saying the people that try to cling to life and, and, and they're trying to do everything to hang on to life for themselves and they're trying to make everything about themselves, what it ends up doing is it ends up basically strangling the life right out of life, if that makes sense. And so if you're one of those people or when you are one of those people, because I think we all do this, and you're trying so hard to get for yourself, what you actually end up doing is robbing yourself of true life. And you think about it maybe as in a romantic relationship, the person who's always trying to cling and grasp onto this other person, I need you, I, and, and you know, they're calling them 20 times a day, what are you doing right now? And I need, the other person starts, ah, okay, I need space here. You're suffocating me. Well, I'm, you could think of that uh, life a little bit that way. The more we try and just get, get, get for me, 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 I need, I need, I need, please, please. The more we try and cling to those things, the more we end up suffocating the life right out of our own life. But the more we begin to turn over our lives and say, I'm going to let go of this. I'm going to let go of that and trust God with this, my money. I'm going to let trust God with this relationship. I'm going to trust God here. What ends up happening is we end up getting to experience true life. So sin just puts a stranglehold on experiencing true life, right? The more you try and grab a hold and cling to something, you usually choke the life right out of it. If you've been trying to cling on to your money, you're probably not enjoying your finances. If you've been trying to cling on to your kids, you're probably not enjoying your kids. You're probably paranoid every time they leave the house or they talk to a friend or they get the sniffles or whatever it is. If you're trying to cling to your spouse, then you're so upset every time, you know, that you're suspicious about this and you're suspicious about that. 
Sin leads to death. Am I talking truth here? That's truth, isn't it? I mean, you guys know this just from life experience. What I'm, what I'm saying is true. And it's not just from life experience. God's Word says that that's what's going to happen. So let's keep talking here in Romans 6. Uh, I just want to quickly say there are a couple types of sin. Commission or commission and omission. And one means to commit and one means to omit. I was going to talk a little bit more about this. Commit would be basically the things we do. And it would even be attitudes of our heart. So the things we do wrong. So in other words, I thought a bad thought this morning. I, uh, I said an angry word to so-and-so. I, um, uh, I cheated this person. Uh, I lied to, to this person. Those are things that we actually do wrong. Those are sins we commit, right? I hated so-and-so for six years because they never brought back my lawnmower after they borrowed it and... Uh, whatever it is, those are sins that we commit. But there are also sins of omission. And God's Word tells us the one who knows, in James it says, the one who knows the right thing to do, the one who knows the right thing to do, but doesn't do it, for him it's sin. And so omission is maybe God has something He's been wanting us to do, you to do, and you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, nope, not yet. Well, that's sin. And it's important for us to realize that also will rob us of life. How many of you guys have things you know you should be doing? You don't have to raise your hand. You, you, the wives are jabbing the husband like, yeah, all the stuff you're supposed to be doing. Uh, you, there's things you know you should be doing, and it kind of robs you of a little bit of life because you go to sit down on the couch and relax and enjoy, and you're like, I should be doing that. It's taking my, it's not, can, can you relate a little bit? So sin ends up robbing us, whether it's omission or commission. The good news is, as Christians, we have a choice. We have an opportunity. We don't have to live according to, we don't have to live in sin. And that's because we've been set free from sin. God's Word tells us we've been set free from sin. Again, this is from Romans 6. You can go back and read these verses later if you want. It says, Therefore we were buried with Him, buried with Christ, through baptism into His death. I'll explain all this in a minute. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. We're talking about next steps, right? God wants us to walk in newness of life. That's part of this next step thing is He wants us to walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now catch this last sentence. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We have a choice. As Christians, we've been freed from sin. That whole first part that seems a little bit confusing, talking about dying and buried and resurrected and, uh, and all that, it's talking about we as Christians, when we put our faith with Christ, are essentially united with Christ. And so that spirit, when he died and, and, and we put our faith with him, it's as if our old man died, the old us died. That's why we talk about becoming a new person in Christ. The old us has died. That spiritual force that was working in us, that spiritual being that we were, has been crucified, Paul says. 
and it says that we've been made alive and given the very life of Christ. But so the point is that old us that died, it had to sin. It had no choice. Unbelievers may not believe that, but there's no choice because it is powered by Satan, with, for lack of a better way of putting it. That part of us needs to be removed. And so we are, we, Christ's death is, we, uh, we've been unified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism is a picture of. The old us has died and we've been raised new. And that's happened spiritually for us. Baptism is a, is a physical picture of that. That's why we baptize by immersion. But what that all means is that we who have died have been freed from sin. Right? I mean, you think about it in any relationship. Once one person dies, it kind of frees the other person up in a marriage relationship, right? In a lot of ways. Till death do we part. And so... It's a, that part of us has died. We are no longer obligated to that part of us. Romans 8, 12, if you want to write that down, says that. We're not obligated anymore to live according to the flesh. There's no longer an obligation there. So sin hinders us from experiencing a full life. Sin hinders us from experiencing a full life. Would you agree? Do we have to sin? Not if you've been made new in Jesus Christ. Not if you've been made new in Jesus Christ. I heard this analogy. James McDonald has this, a preacher named James McDonald has this analogy. He says, imagine you're a big uh, tree out in the middle of the field, this big tree, like 30 years old. And at the same time that tree grew up, this vine sprouted up around it and that this vine has just grown and, and woven itself into all the different parts of the tree. Well, when we are, when we put our faith in Christ, it's as if that vine has been chopped at the roots. That source is dead, but there's still those vines are still sitting in there. We still struggle with sin, but it still not, does not have to continue having the life it has, the stranglehold life it had on us as before. Romans 6, 11, 12, and 14. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead, Indeed, to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not let sin reign or be king or boss of your body, that you should obey its lusts. For sin shall not have dominion or be your boss, for you are not under law but under grace. A lot of times we feel that we have to sin, right? What's the old song? The devil made me do it. Well, as a believer, we have an option. It may not feel that way all the time, but we have an option. We don't have to live in bitterness. As a Christians, we don't have to live in bitterness. We don't have to be stuck with greediness. We don't have to be mean people. We don't have to be liars. We don't have to be stingy. We don't have to be any of those things. We've been given the opportunity to live free. So basically, we have two options. Be a vessel for God or a vessel for sin. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says, and this is a great, if you want to be used by God, this is a, a great passage. It's 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. 
It says, in a wealthy home, some vessels are made of gold and silver, and some are made of clay and wood. Okay, you got your gold and silver, you got your clay and wood. The expensive vessels are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special vessel for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you in every good work. Right? We have vessels in our house. Some, the fancy dishes you bring out when company comes over and the nice stuff that's in the china hutch, right? Special vessels. And then you have these other vessels that you use uh, to, to do other tasks that maybe you use to, uh, your cleaning supply. They have something to do with your cleaning supplies. They're not so honorable. And what he says is if you want to be a vessel that has that honor, you need to make sure that you are pure. And so if you want to be used of God, it, there, there's a requirement of us being pure. So there's a way for us to be used of God or a way for us to be used for or towards sin. It's one or the other. Either you're a vessel being used for God or for sin. And I personally believe that might change three times in a day. Right? On your way, your drive to work, you might be a vessel for sin. Your mouth is a major vessel for sin on the way to work because all these blankety blank blank drivers. And I don't know how they're going to know, or in your hands might be used as a vessel for sin. You might even be using your vehicle as a vessel for sin by the way you're driving, whatever that is, right? But in that very same day, you may get it pulled in the parking lot, you know, catch your breath and, and pray, and God, I'm sorry, that was wrong. I had a bad attitude and going to work. And then you are able to maybe share an encouraging word with a coworker, and to give them maybe somebody shows some love and the love of Jesus Christ and support and encouragement. Is so all of a sudden you've become a vessel for God to work through because you've given yourself to to Him. Now, if you stay in that mindset, I have to be a jerk for the rest of the day. How else am I gonna make it through the day? You don't know where I work. Well. That's not according to Christ. You have a choice. You don't have to continue sinning. And if you do choose to continue sinning, you're not going to radically improve your life experience. You're going to be miserable like the rest of the employees at work that you're complaining about how miserable they are if you choose sin. So that sin is a barrier, but the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ is because of the work of Jesus Christ, we don't have to live in bondage to sin. We can be a vessel for God instead of a vessel for sin. Do not present your members, your body parts, yourself, your life, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God or give yourself to God as being alive from the dead, a new person. And your members, your body parts, as instruments or weapons or tools of righteousness to God. Going, this mouth, I want it to be a vessel of righteousness. Here you go, God. Do you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death. So where does sin lead? To death. Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. When we obey, holiness begins to overtake our life. Righteousness begins to overtake. Obedience leads to righteousness. When Paul says, I speak in human terms, in other words, 
using this whole slavery analogy, I'm, I'm, I'm giving the slavery analogy because of the weakness or kind of the immaturity that a lot of times it's hard for us to understand spiritual things. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now pre present your members as slaves of righteousness leading to holiness. And isn't that true? Before Christ, we had no choice. We presented our, our self, body parts, life, as a to lawlessness. And what does lawlessness lead to? More lawlessness. <laughs> Things don't usually get better on that track. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness, leads to more sin, leads to more sin, leads to more sin. You tell one lie, you've got to tell another lie to cover it up. But what he says, now present yourself as a slave or as a servant of righteousness. And so we have an opportunity to present ourselves to God. So I want to just kind of go through this really quickly here. So what are those next steps? If we're talking about next steps, what are the next steps that we need to take? Well, according to Romans, if we want to really improve our life, the first thing is we need to know the truth about ourselves. We need to know the truth about ourselves in regards to this topic. It almost always starts with knowing the truth, right? That's why we explain things to our kids, because we want them to, we, we tell them what's true in life, what works in life, because if they don't know it, how are they ever going to live it out? We've got to explain to them how life really works. Well, that's what God does. He says, I want you to understand something. So knowing the truth is important. Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? In other words, that part of you, that vine has been cut. Don't you know you don't have to be a slave to sin? Knowing this, our old man was crucified with Him, that old part of us, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. A truth to know, if you want to improve your life, radically improve your life experience maybe not your circumstances but your experience of life know this you don't have to sin you don't have to be bitter when life goes against you you don't have to worry you don't have to hate you don't have to fear you don't have to do those things that's one of the steps to take is one know the truth next accept this truth for yourself you need to embrace it. You need to accept this truth for yourself. You need to make it your truth. That's, a, that's going around now. Everyone's like, well, my truth is, well, this, it, I could care less what your truth is if it doesn't line up with this because it, that, it doesn't really make sense what your truth is. I understand the saying. I'm not upset completely that people are using it. But if we would learn to say, my truth is, and we base it on real truth, we accept that truth. For ourselves, he says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves. And he, that's not like the old hillbilly reckon, like, oh, I reckon one day I'll get to it. He's not talking about that kind of reckon. In some of your Bibles, it may say consider. And it's not like, huh, I'm going to consider that. This is an accounting term. It means like log it down, put it in the log books, reckon it, count it, accept it. It's fact. He says, Consider it a fact that you are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we need to accept it for ourselves because I can just go like, oh yeah, Christians don't have to sin. 
But I need to know that for myself and accept it and reckon it. Not will I reckon, but that I would reckon and account and count it as a fact for me. And then we need to give ourselves to give ourselves to God's purposes. Say, I don't have to sin. Right now I'm going to hand myself to you. I want to be used by you. Just had a bad attitude at the house and being a jerk to Carly and Evie. And God, I want to confess that I don't have to sin. I don't have to keep being a jerk today. I don't have to do that. You've made me new. So right now I want to hand myself over to you. I want to give myself over to you to be used of you in my house. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I know I'm going long and I'm going to wrap up here. But I just want to, as we wrap up this series, realize that we are all I hope that your journey is one with God and you're not going on your journey alone without God. Most important step, be, recon be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives us the ability to even live this kind of life. He's the one that gives us eternal life. So if nothing else, if nothing else comes of this and one person says, I am going to take that first step and be reconciled to God by putting my faith and trust in Christ and what He did. That's the most important first step, and we can all rejoice over that. But ongoingly, there are things in, in our life that maybe God wants you to get up and move. Maybe God wants you to repent. Maybe God wants you to take a big step of faith. Maybe God wants you to take a big step of surrender. Maybe God is telling you even through this message, and he, He's saying, you know, what's your next step? Well, your next step is you need to get some help for that sin that you've let yourself get enslaved to. You need to reach out for accountability. You need some, some discipleship here, someone to come alongside you and help straighten out the, the crazy thinking you've gotten and, and put God's Word, help you put God's Word into your mind and into your heart. Maybe you need someone to walk you through the, the process of forgiveness because you've been living as a slave to unforgiveness. And so maybe your next step is just to reach out to get some help. Maybe your next step is to just con begin confessing some of the things you've been doing as sin that you've just kind of been blowing off and trying to sweep under the rug and thinking, you know, I hope God's not seeing all this. Maybe your next step is, I, I feel like I'm, I'm on track, but I'm not really being a, a vessel for God's use. My time is my time, not God's time. Maybe God's going, give me your time. Give me some of your money. <laughs> instead of being stingy, share. Maybe he's going, I want to change you. I want Instead of your mouth being used for sin and damage and destruction, I want to use your mouth as for truth and encouragement and to bring a message of hope to people. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Instead of being someone who's arguing, somebody that would be promoting peace. So God has a next step for all of us. He wants to take and change us and transform us little by little. And, 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 and so I would just say this, we don't have to sin. It may feel like it. And, and, and again, I think it was James McDonald had this analogy. It's like there's a hole in, in the road and we'll walk and we fall in that hole. And we, sometimes we didn't even see it. We fall in that hole and it takes us a while to get out of that hole. And we're stuck in that hole. Maybe someone helps us out, but we get out of that. And then the next day, 
we walk, we fall in the hole, and we're a little more savvy and we can get some help getting out of that hole. And then we're pretty soon we're like, I don't want to walk in that hole anymore. We start going way around. And then pretty soon we get careless and we fall back in that hole again. And then sooner or later we begin to learn we can take a whole new street. We don't even need to walk on that road anymore. And so maybe what God's saying is like, I want to get you on a whole different road here. I want to get you on a whole different path. And that is possible through Jesus Christ because He is a redeemer of lives. He's a transformer of lives. It's because we have an awesome, wonderful Savior that we can experience a radically improved life because we don't have to be slaves of sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for the life that we have. We thank you for the options. We thank you that you stay with us every step of the journey. And we thank you for just the hope we have for the future because of you. Please bless each person here today. I know it's not always easy to get here on Sundays and to sit for 45 minutes and listen, Father. I pray that you would bless them, that you would minister to them, that you would use these truths in their life. I believe you're doing works in people's hearts. I, I know you are. I pray that you would continue to do that and that there would be just more and more life uh, springing out from, from this church, but that it would happen through each individual's life, Father. Bless this group of people that are here today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.